Welcome to part three of six of the Urban Desi documentary podcasts. Short snippets to walk you through the 1980s segment of South Asian Women in Music Legacy Pop-Up, which debuted in New York City in June 2019, put together by Urban Desi Doc and my friends at Product of Culture. I'm your host, Terry Mardi, the writer of Urban Desi Documentary and Encyclopedia. I'm going to take you through the 80s really quickly. Just a snippet, or we have to get the book to find out more. Right, in the 1980s, the recorded music industry was growing rapidly, and technologies like radio and television exposed migrant settlers from the Indian subcontinent in places like Britain, Europe, and North America to other forms of ethnographic sounds. Movements such as hip-hop, disco, and reggae were well-established into mainstream pop culture by then, But even in warehouse raves and underground clubs or festivals like Glastonbury Festival in the UK, the experimental nature of the indulgence of the 80s and the experimentation of electronic sounds led to some new things. This is all happening amidst the paradox and the tension of skinhead neo-Nazi culture and extreme racism on the streets affecting South Asians. There was this thing called packy bashing, and it was very real. Combat 18 was was a gang of thugs that would go around the streets of Southall or Birmingham, trying to beat up any quote-unquote raghead that they could find. Other words and slurs were also used, so it was a very tense time. However, there were also lovely people travelling around the world as air travel and flights and holiday packages were becoming more common. People were traveling to places like India. And so the appetite for the culture was crossing over. So it was only a matter of time before South Asians were going to adapt and morph their fusion sound using new technology like synthesizers, samplers and computers alongside their Indian instruments. Let's cut to Sheila Chandra. You may see a picture of of her on the wall. As a teenager, she formed in the band Monsoon with Steve Coe, who became the band's producer, and bassist Martin Smith. Monsoon created a fusion of Western and Indian pop styles. They had an album called The Third Eye, and in 1982, there was a surprise hit single called Ever So Lonely. It went to number 12 in the charts. Monsoon followed up with a single called Shakti, That peaked at number 41, but that was going to be the band's final charting single. They broke up. The album also included a cover of the Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows, featuring the distinctive Ebo guitar sound of Bill Nelson. I just want to read you a snippet of something that Sheila said in an interview when she was asked why she signed to a tiny indie pop record company. It's called Indie Pop Records. This is what she said. Indie pop were a fiercely independent tiny label and their cottage industry approach inevitably led to fewer sales and minimal media exposure. But this apparent limitation was in many ways the attraction for me to sign to them. There was very little commercial pressure on me and I had virtually all of their attention. That meant the most to me and I was able to have creative and legal control over all aspects of my music to evolve in a safe environment until I felt ready to join major multinational labels, albeit via so-called specialist labels. So 
She says, you were asking about context and perspective. Well, I left Monsoon after a bitter fight with the record company and at a time where I could easily have signed to another major as a solo artist. The impact that Monsoon made, their highly developed distinctive sound and pioneering insights into world music fusion was acclaimed worldwide. They were way ahead of their field. I feel very proud about that, she says. To most people, I was Monsoon. I'd already achieved my fairy tale fantasy dream, an innovative top 10 hit with my first ever single at the age of 16. 16 people. With the Monsoon album, we'd uncovered a rich musical vein, the drone and the raga bass that underpins all of my recordings. She went on to say, I was looking at a vast cavern of musical possibilities just waiting to be explored. Just wonderful. Let's go to Mozart Nazir now. 1983, she started a music career. But before that, she had a keen interest in music and began singing for Radio Pakistan in the early 50s. Now, however, insufficient money from the radio took her to the film director Anwar Kamal Pasha. In 1955, she explained to Pasha about her strong desire to be in the movies, to sing in the movies. Instead, Pasha suggested, why don't you become an actress? Musarat needed her parents' approval, so Pasha himself met Musarat's father and convinced him to allow his daughter to work in the movie industry as a singer and an actress. The rest, as they say, is her story. <laughs> DJ Ritu, 1986. She began her career in East London, as a pop music DJ. She was headhunted by New Global Beat, uh, Beat Club is in Islington called Club Asia, which propelled her into the world music scene, working alongside African expert David McCalmott and Rye and Latin aficionado Don Tyler. She began touring abroad in 1991, often the first DJ to introduce Indian sounds into many countries she traveled to. And she also had a UK residency at the Mambo Inn. It was a very big deal at the time. After performing at the World Music Expo, or Womex, in 94-95, Ritu was actually commissioned to create her first band. She called it the Asian Equation. She then created Sister India, who was Ritu's second band, and this was born out of this female strong focus, gaining a cult following worldwide. She gained more notoriety and later joined the BBC in 1991, presenting shows at BBC London, World Service, and also on KISS FM, National Swedish Radio, and WDR Radio in Germany. Ritu, this is brilliant, was the founder or the co-founder of Outcast Records in 1994, and she signed Nitin Sawney and Badmarsh and Cherie. She instigated Club Outcast, which was frequented by Bjork, Goldie, Talvin Singh, so you can imagine what that was like and compiled the first two CDs, the Asian Underground CDs of the, of the time. Also resident at the UK's first ever weekly Bhangra R&B drum and bass night, it was called Bombay Jungle. She essentially was the bedrock of London's club scene. Check this out. DJ Ritu was listed number 16 in the Rainbow List 2015. This is what the citation said. DJ Ritu co-founded Club Kali 20 years ago named after the Hindu goddess associated with empowerment, open to attitude-free connoisseurs of all cultural backgrounds, Club Kali has acquired near-legendary status amongst clubbers and provided a safe space for Gaijin community. See, told you she was a legend. Najma Akhtar, 1987. 
She was British-born, and she studied chemical engineering at Aston University in Birmingham. Her father, brother and sister were also engineers. In 1984, she won the Birmingham Asian Song Contest, and in 1987, produced her first album. Her own albums have included elements of jazz, pop, Bollywood, and electronic music, and she's worked as a guest vocalist with Page and Plant, Jar Wobble, Andy Summers, and many others. Trust me when I say there is so much to learn about Najmak that more will come in the encyclopedia and documentary. Her music was even featured in the film Sammy and Rosie Get Laid. Cool, huh? Now, move ahead to the next episode to hear some introductory facts about South Asian women in music in the 1990s. For more information, follow Urban Desi Doc on Instagram.